0: This kind of vintage probably puts a cash flow strain
1: on a, on a lot of wineries, but. Um, so you're you're thinking about packaging even when you buy the grapes from, from the very beginning. We you're thinking about those costs. Yeah, right, Yeah, sure. I mean,
0: Yeah, if you buy the grapes, you gotta, you know, you gotta do something with it. You know, you can't pour it down the drain.
1: Well, hello everybody. My name is Mark Rayshap and this is Another Bottle Down, the radio show and podcast about wine and the wine industry. We broadcast on ninety one point seven FM K O O P in Austin, Texas, and then make this podcast with the great conversations of winemakers and wine personalities from all around the world. Uh, October being Texas Wine Month, we uh, caught up with a lot of Texas winemakers, and on today's show is Doug Lewis, a, a really enjoy talking with Doug uh, pretty much every chance I get. He uh, gets around the state really really well and, and understands a lot of the grape varieties and he's really not afraid to try things and uh, experiment with with this and that and uh, you just heard him talking about the temptation to get really good fruit and uh, and how it could maybe catch up with you uh, when you have to pay the bills but um, uh, Doug is—it is, always has great insight, so I'm sure that you will really enjoy this conversation. A couple quick plugs. On November 8th at the Wine and Food Foundation offices, I'm going to be giving a class on 2007 Bordeaux, so uh, wines from Bordeaux at the 10-year mark. 07 was a bit of a tricky vintage, uh, so a lot of collectors passed on it, but I think that the wines are very interesting. They're a little bit more elegant, and a lot of châteaux are almost r- more excited about that vintage uh, in the tasting window right now than others. Of course, the iconic vintages will be better in the 20, 30, 40-year mark, but uh, but but 2007 is in a good window right now, so we're going to check that out. Uh, tickets are available at winefoodfoundation.org. And then the next night, November 9th, I'm going to be doing a wine and chocolate pairing class. It's more of a, a, a mingling affair at, uh, Chocolaterie Tessa's Her, uh, she has a new location in the domain of Austin in North Austin so again winefoodfoundation.org for tickets for both of those alright let's jump in here's Doug Lewis from Lewis Wines and we start off by uh, him answering my question as to what he saw in 2017 um, a, a
0: lot <laughs> that, that's the, the short answer way more um, of, of everything you know it's a a really wonderful vintage in so many ways, uh, qualities through the roof, you know, the, the quantity was there. Um, a lot of things that we envisioned and imagined, you know, when we got started in, in 2009 and 10, 11, 12, of about different grape varieties to try or different sites to try those. Um, a lot of those things, uh, our own vineyard included, um, have started producing. And so there's a lot, a lot of things that, you know, it used to be, Oh, uh, the idea that we'll get more than a ton of Torriga Nationale to work with, you know, its was something we kind of laughed at. Like, yeah, right. nobody else is going to grow it for us.
1: Can we go through those one by one? To, I mean, you said that, that, that a lot of these things seemed like they would never come to be. Can we talk about each one individually? Because I think sure. there's an interest on that, in, sure. you know, not just Torriga Nacional, but, I mean, you've been experimenting with a lot of grapes, experimenting with a lot of regions. Uh, let's talk about
0: them. Um, well, I guess... Uh, start in chronological order maybe yeah you know uh, we, we always start uh, every every vintage for us starts with uh, uh, the fruit from a, a grower named Altus in, in East Texas up near Longview uh, grows Blanc Bois for us and William Chris as well um, Blanc Bois, familiar with it it's we- one of my favorite varieties to work with with respect to her Texas and, and hybrids and stuff,
1: right? So I'm familiar with it. We I've done a number of specials on the show about Blanc de Bois, um, but give us the quick uh, 20 second version for the listeners.
0: Um, it's it's a French American hybrid. The the parentage is a combination of things that grow really well in hot humid climates and uh, and Muscat, I believe. Is One of the parents, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I think that they're shooting for is the disease resistance of of the native vines and the uh, kind of the drinking and aromatic qualities of, of a vine like muscat. And um, a lot of breeding programs, maybe they, they haven't quite hit the mark. And I, I feel like Blanc du Bois, they've, you know, have really done well with it. Um, interestingly enough, Chris Brundrett and I shared a Blanc Dubois f- uh, he made from Brenham. Uh, Brenham, is it Brenham the name of the county too? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, it's, he's got one grower over in Brenham. It was a 2012 and I was totally, you know, East Texas Five year old white wine, not necessarily something I would expect to be really good. And we were kind of floored at how delicious the wine was, how well it's held up and stuff.
1: Well, that, I mean, that's the mark of the acidity, right? The the Blanc de Bois just has this really cool acidity.
0: Especially if you're willing to embrace, like, the, you know, that it gets ripe at lower sugar levels. You know, if you just, like, kind of throw the the textbook out the window and just say, hey, you know, let's go off the way this wine, this fruit tastes, you know, and, and, um, my experience has been, uh, Blanc du Bois in East Texas. Maybe it's the humidity or the warm nights or the shorter season. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure why, but the the fruit just ripens really quickly. So it's usually mid July that we, we start seeing our Blanc du Bois, and that primarily gets used for swim spot. Um, but it's a you know one of the first wines we release each year so it kind of works works out from a schedule standpoint.
1: and Right and it does exactly what the consumers are looking for it to do which is just be bright and fresh and yeah and, yeah. yeah beautiful.
0: Yeah some some vintages are more challenging than others you know we've had some years where rain 40, 50, 60 inches in the growing season um, which kind of ch- changes fruit chemistry and things that you know make, make it a little more challenging but Uh, Overall with the wine wine style we're shooting for there. It's it's not an over overly complicated thing, you know Um, And and as long as we kind of stick to a certain Set of direction or parameters. We usually kind of get what we're looking for and
1: and pretty happy with it So what so this year was that that was kind of particularly good? What what happened new this year in terms of that that variety?
0: um they didn't have as much rain okay. <laughs> as some vintages. Um, you know, it's always, you're always going to see more rain and moisture in East Texas. Right. Um, the place like Longview, it's almost Louisiana, but, um, the fruit by and large came in, uh, pretty clean. Um, you know, it was one of the few places in Texas that I didn't see below average berry size, uh, which was nice. You know, we get a, a good press out on a, on a wine that we're making more of, you know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, um, looked like Blanc was a good crop with respect to the, the disease and the yields and everything just kind of like, Hey, sometimes in, you know, it's, I almost, I shouldn't talk too long about Blanc-Tupac cause I only see the vineyard a couple of times in a year you know, and I look at my own vineyard, you know, almost every day. <laughs> right. So it's, it, I almost feel like I'm talking about something that, you know, like we should get Altus here to tell us how the growing season went, but the, the fruit came in that the quality was sound, you know, what we were looking for. Um, and uh, and we have a little bit of extra uh, Verdelio and alberino that we're, we're going to, instead of, like we've, we've used Muscat right. and the Passant Viognier. Um, and I, I think uh, um, aromatic varieties that are a little more acid-driven, I think are kind of more in line with the profile we're shooting for. Yeah. It's just a matter of getting good juice. And
1: so those grapes that you were talking about, can we, can we talk about those? Because a lot of people don't know those Verdelio yeah, yeah, sure. and and, uh, and and the other ones. The other aromatic grapes. Yeah, where where are you getting those from?
0: So so Verdelio comes from um, Jim Johnson's Vineyard. Uh, used to be Alamosa Wine Cellars, uh, one of the oldest growers in the Hill Country. One of the first guys to plant a lot of hot climate grape varieties in the Hill Country. Right. Vineyard's still in great shape in production, and it's it's for sale. Uh, their they're owners are farming it they've discontinued the wine brand but they're still farming the vineyard to keep the value up while the, the the whole property's for sale and so we've been you know lucky enough that he he reached out to us about working with him to get the fruit and um, it's challenging because we you know the vineyard's an hour and 45 minutes from here yeah. and we usually start picking over there sometime between like midnight and 4 a.m so it's a little bit of a logistical like find, you know headache finding eight ten people that are down to go work in the night but You know, at the time we're picking white grapes in the hill country. You know, it's so hot during the day when we're really looking for like a more delicate expression with with Verdelho. You know, it's we just.
1: So is that new this year? Is is that new the Alamosa Vineyard to your uh, to it, your thing?
0: No, no, no. We we started working with Jim and, and his fruit. Um, the first stuff we got from him was 2012's vintage, and as actually we got it in bulk from him, he had actually made it in his own cellar, and we blended it with our own Tempranillos and a Tempranillo Reserve. We've we've since sold out of. Um, but last year was the first year where we got like the majority of the vineyard, you know, the way we wanted it. We picked it when we wanted to. Those kind of things. And, um, and those are the first, uh, wines from his vineyard that we've actually designated, you know, Tio Pancho Ranch. And we had a Grenache Rosé that was available for a while. It was pretty cool. twenty twenty-one 21 year old vines and, um, tasted delicious.
1: <laughs> so do you think, do you think for I mean, back to the, back to that grape yeah, variety, yes, do you sorry. think that it, it's going to be more widely planted? Do you think that now, and we should say that it's, it's uh, one of the Madeira grape varieties, and and so hot climate there, um, and and we see kind of other grape varieties that have a connection with Madeira too.
0: Yeah, I, you know the the potential I think is there. Uh, it's very interesting to me. It's so hard to look at one site in Texas and be like, oh, this works, because uh, great examples. I'm a huge fan of Morvedra and. This grower we're talking about has planted more veg at his site and maybe it was a variety rootstock mismatch or something But it, it didn't make it died, right? And so, you know, I'm I'm really happy with the wine quality this year. It's, yeah. it's really uh, it Retains its acidity really well, which is something I look for in white varieties right. And so I think if that's something that the industry is looking for in this area, it may be something to try Yeah, um but it seems like Albarino does the same thing too, and um, and so it's. I think it's just we need more time to see like when we have challenging vintages because of excessive moisture, whatever you know, the, the range of issues we can have. Um, what what's you know which one does better in the vineyard? Right. Um, Verdelio I'll tell you like I love the wine. It's probably one of my least favorite great varieties to pick it seems like it makes like quarter sized clusters like even compared to other small grape varieties and then like they're going to be like four or six of them on a shoot it so you like end up having to find you know pull through the leaves up and down on the plant you know at night which is when we're picking it you know, to find these tiny clusters, uh, you know, a few berries or eight berries, <laughs> ten berries. Like so much work for. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of work, exactly. <laughs> and so it's something in the hill country where most of what we do has to be done by hand. I'm not sure. Like, I would I need to make Verdellio wine more to be be say like, hey, this is worth the work. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I think it's a great idea. It's a great variety. I'm more excited to work with it than than a lot of other varieties. Um, And the vines, I should ask Jim, but I'd say they're probably like between 8 and 12 years old. So there's certainly some viability in the sense that they're they're still here. Right, yeah. Um, But we worked with a three-year-old Albarino vineyard um, over by a little bit, I mean, as a crow flies, maybe only two or three miles south of Enchanted Rock. Um, which when I first heard about it, I was like, ah, picturing it's going to be in granite. And got super excited about that just because most of the soils we work with in our hill country vineyards on this side are kind of clay and, and limestone based. We don't see as much of the granite
1: stuff. And, and I'll add that in Rias Baixas in northern Spain and in uh, in Vinho Verde territory, Alvarinho or Alvarinho in Portuguese does really well in granite soils. Right. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's something that i was excited about right, right? Yeah, i right. Was just
0: listening to some podcasts and yep. people talk about that it was it was like the light i was like really awesome <laughs> um from the vineyard we're looking at limestone bluffs <laughs> which isn't necessarily a bad thing you no know? Like, right. it, typically limestone's great for it, wine yeah, in yeah, general. yeah yeah i mean we'll time will tell um the fruit chemistry was awesome yeah and um and we see that a lot with younger vineyards in Texas because the balance is is really there naturally the the plants is not not that big yet so the if the yields aren't that high then it's naturally kind of in a, in this balanced place and um, it's hard to say if it's a really good vintage with younger vines that it just came off really perfectly or if it's something that's here to stay
1: are you seeing more alberinho in 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 terms, I mean, I'm seeing more kind of hitting the market, but you will see things as a winemaker. You'll see things three four years beforehand, uh, you know, because the it 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 takes time for the market to reflect what's actually going on behind the scenes. Are you seeing more growers planting albarino and playing around with the different soils? Um, not as much as I would like to, <laughs> right. right? Uh, but you could say that for everything. Yeah. yeah.
0: Like when, when I used to work for Pedernales sellers, they, they planted a small block of Albariño and had a, had a little trouble out of the gate and then replanted it. And I want to say that they've been really happy with the results since they've replanted it. And, and then this vineyard, you know, I, I, I think they're really happy. Um, you know, in the hill country, it's the, the list of producers is not that long and um, I would love to see more of it, you know, I, I think it's like on everybody's wavelength I think when people talk about what they would plant Alberino is high on the list, right? Right, but um, in the hill country the, the pace of planning's Definitely not kept up with like West Texas, right? Yeah, um, and I so I think the ones we see that are the The ones we're seeing more of in the marketplace right now. I think largely are coming from the high plains so it's hard to really say something about, like, Hill Country
1: Albarino. Right, right. Um, are you seeing Albarino in the, in, the, in the High Plains as oh, well?
0: absolutely. Yeah. Bigger y- plantings? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely something that people have embraced up there. Um, several producers at different ends of the market, you know, from from a value-driven guy in the grocery store to people who are selling higher and stuff in only a tasting room. Or, you know, I've seen good examples kind of across the spectrum, I feel like. Right. So I'm, I'm excited about the variety um, it's just, you know, it's, I, I hate to get too excited about anything because Ria Spice isn't here and, and, you know, right. time, time will
1: tell, you know? Yeah. What, um, so what other, so if we continue chronologically, um, oh, yeah, what okay. else are are, 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 you know, I knew that you're seeing kind of this year, um, your vineyard is now, you know, uh, kind of immaturity. Can we talk about yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're just kind of
0: getting into production, um, you know. They're uh, the vines are we're fourth leaf this year, and we're fairly shallow, rocky soils, and and haven't really irrigated or fertilized a lot, you know, and, and enough to keep the plants from dying right. to the best of our ability right now. But in um, this year, we had a couple blocks where we pulled, you know, like the tonnage I'd like to pull every year in an ideal year. You know, we kind of hit the goal, um, and those blocks are the Coincidentally, where we have the most dirt, you know, the most soil. So I think you know the vineyard's still kind of one, two more years into getting established into full production. Um, but we did make our first, uh, you know, half ton of fruit off of uh, this upper block of Arinto, and the fruit chemistry is unbelievable. Uh, well, so I'm, I'm very excited about. I, I tell wanna us about Arinto. Um, so it's it's a Portuguese variety. Um, we may be the only people growing in texas there's some uh some guys that are, are friends of ours and friends with the uh, the folks over at yates one of them actually working over in the cellar at yates a guy named mike bilger him and his brother uh i want to say andy have planted a, a vineyard over in stonewall and I, and I think they tried to get alberine or er, Arinto, and the they had an issue getting the plants and so i think it got delayed but they're still planning on doing it i could be wrong uh, this is what i hear through you like have no it. sleep and stuff but yeah yeah we have it we have it here um i tried to get some planted in the high plains a couple of years ago and the, the plants fell through as an obscure portuguese white variety it's been harder sourcing sourcing the vines and i got you know three thousand plants on my first try so when everybody else like started striking out at first i was frustrated but it's happened to, to three or four people in a row now that they couldn't get the stock so um maybe it's just the nurseries had a had a tougher time with it but um it's it, it's a Portuguese variety again from from uh um I wanna say it's originally from northern Portugal. Kind of maybe uh maybe, maybe you know more about this than I do, but I wanna say it's
1: it's kinda of from uh Vino Verde, like it's grown in Vino Verde. It's grown all over Portugal. Okay. The most iconic one is just north of Lisbon in a dock a DOC called um Bucel, and that's the most famous arinto in portugal but uh it's grown all over portugal it's it's blended in in, in the alentejo in the south where it's really hot and it, it just maintains its acidity in really hot climates which so, is what attracted me to it right that's, and so that's you've what got what it I had you've heard. got it in the down you've got it in the bayrada you've got it uh, most famously in in bucelas Um, but you've got it also in, uh, in the Alentejo and the Algarve and, and it's planted all over to boost that acidity in hot climates. And so, you know, I think you're spot on theoretically and now practically you're seeing it. Yeah. So,
0: so, and, and, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I don't want to count my eggs before they hatch. Um, so, you know, the, (laughs) the yields were really small on the, on this, this first crop. And so maybe we got really unbelievable fruit chemistry as a result of just having really low tonnage, I've always really been kind of a proponent fruit? that right. lo- lower tonnage you're going to probably ripen your fruit easier, right? right. Um, within within reason, right. Um, that that being said, you know we had sugars that are, you know, actually higher than most of the reds we pick with with PHs that were barely over three. Wow! And for us, you know, w- Alberino and Verdellio being harvested in the high three ones, low three twos was like was Um, for us, a new thing. You know, that was pretty... It was amazing that we had good fruit fruit profiles, you know, the flavors that we were looking for in the grapes at at that pH. And so we got really excited, and then we turned right around and pulled the Arento here, and it was, like, two bricks riper, the fruit was all golden, and and the acid was, like, argued... I mean, the the titratable acidity was actually higher. Wow. So we were like, holy you know, this is exciting. But again, it's, you know, we could we could get a commercial crop on it next year and it takes a little more time to get that flavor profile where we're looking for. And who knows, maybe, you know, maybe we'll just have high sugar, <laughs> right, <laughs> which I, I hope is not the case. Right? right. So time, time will tell. Um,
1: okay. But for the record, 2017, great chemistry, great pH, yeah. low yield. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Um, and that, that's a Rinto, you know, the, uh, our, our Alicante Boucher here actually made pretty, pretty decent yield. Uh, the tentacal on the property did as well. Um, Tariga, oh, pretty moderate, and Tanat, the block is is just now finally, finally coming around. We only made like, uh, you know, a little over a half ton off an acre, you know, wow. so fairly low yields there. But we had issues with the irrigation out of the first finish with that block. So.
1: so you've got, you've had Tinta Cao for a while, mm-hmm. another Portuguese variety. Yeah. Um tell us a little bit about that is it um, it's spicy does it maintain its yeah. acidity as well Yeah um
0: it does kind of hold its acid you know at a certain point in the hill country all grapes will lose their acid right so you know you you have to still watch it and you might get only get 4 or 5 more days than you would otherwise um but the tintacau is something I I think's really awesome it's, it's very uh very f- floral and I would say spicy, you know, um, yeah. a little peppery. Um, I've worked with it more as a red than a rosé. Uh, last year we made our uh, estate rosé was a, a blend of uh, mostly tinticau with some tariga. Cool. And um, and so we're we're kind of getting a feel for what what it is, and you know, um, I'll, I'll put it this way: I'm excited about it. Right. <laughs> we planted <laughs> another acre of it. Cool. Uh, that the only planning that we've done since the first planning was
1: more tentacal. if that tells you how I feel about it anyways there we go yeah um so Toriga this year was was interesting is it developing in a way that you're happy with
0: yeah yeah the variety um it's one of my favorite varieties for Texas right um you know and, and I used to I used to have to preface this Oh, I love it but I've only made it in Round Mountain and I've gotten a little bit from you know, uh, North Fredericksburg and in Mason County before, but by and large, the lion's share we got was from a single source. Right. So it was, again, it was that issue of, is this really,
1: do you know? Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
0: Is this replicatable in other areas? Or is this kind of unique to this, this certain spot. And, um, you know, after growing it here and getting some growers in the high plains, uh, to grow it for us as well, um, I'm seeing kind of the same thing of, of you know an even fruit set you know it it doesn't change much from year to year it seems to be very kind of consistent predictable very small clusters relatively small berries um, good concentration and, you know holds holds acid well enough you know there i can't really say anything bad about it right um right. you know except that you'll never make 10 tons but to me that's a that's great because uh, another variety I do work with a lot, and I like, um, Tempranillo, will make 10 tons if you let it. And, and that's a big problem for a lot of Texas viticulture because we don't have enough like, labor. So you know, right. where we're counting on the, the site to moderate our vigor, a variety like Tempranillo, you, know, you, you need to be in a site that a lot of people would inherently look at like that's probably too infertile to farm. And so I think that, you know, my experience with Tempranillo is pushing me to, like, more rock, less dirt, you know, more infertile. If you, if you look at the high plains, for example, uh, the further west you go, generally the shallower, the rockier, the soils. Uh, you get out to Newsome vineyards, they're very well known for the quality of their Tempranillo fruit. One of the most, you know, unique things of, about Neil's vineyard relative to, like, most of the growers east of him is that the, the soils are just shallower. And that's a bad thing if you're trying to make six-ton Sanso for rosé production. Uh, and it's a good thing if you're trying to make two-and-a-half-ton of the acre Tempranillo for more serious red wine production. Right, right, right. So that's, you know, that dynamic, I think, uh, teriga it would be interesting to see. You know, maybe we plant teriga in those shallow and fertile sites, and it, it, maybe it's not productive enough. You know, who knows? Time and, will tell.
1: And so now this year, are you, you're seeing, I mean, you're so certainly talking about this quite a bit. Are other people talking about this? I mean, are you having this conversation with growers and other producers?
0: Um, you know, the growers, the people who are growing it like it, you know, because yeah. it, it does what they want it to do. They, they, they get what they expect. Um, there still aren't a long list of people growing it. And um, and it's more the wineries that I think are excited about it. Um, some of the most expensive fruit prices I've heard in Texas, uh, especially in the hill country, have been for Chiriga fruit and uh, i think that there's a reason for that right um i think it's it's something that you'll see because the wineries are willing to pay for it you'll see more growers kind of becoming interested in it yeah right um because it you know there's something about having a more consistent crop load that's almost more manageable than the kind of boom bust of of some more vigorous varieties in a Variable climate like this, you know, right? I think Terriga almost kind of helps insulate you from the The boom and bust of of Texas's weather if you will.
1: Well, that's cool Let's take a break and let's come back talking about Tempranillo and okay. and some fun and some some other varieties. Okay, cool, cool. Yes, yeah, beautiful well Tempranillo <laughs> Um, well congrats on on finishing harvest and uh, you still have some fermentations going on
0: um yeah yeah we have a, a rose fermentation wrapping up still kind of lingering along um, and we have uh, we have we finished pressing our reds this last week so we have some things that are still settling and
1: trying to figure out where we're gonna put them after they get done settling do but. you think that you know we talked about you mentioned that game of where to put things and being attracted to some, you know, vineyards' fruit, and then not knowing where it's going to be. And do you think that the the new crush pads and some of the new industry support systems are really helping out the Texas industry in that sense?
0: Absolutely. Um, I mean, I could I could talk about that for a while. I I feel <laughs> like uh, I feel like Texas wine company, uh, Andy Timmons and Frank Garza and, and old, old Kumar, Dr. Paca, um, put together a, a custom crush facility in Meadow, which is just north of Brownfield, but right there in Terry County, where most of the growers are. Um, it really just made my life a lot easier this year.
1: How did that do, explain that?
0: Um, out of you're out of the out of the storm, you know. You when you when you get up there picking fruit, and you know everything's going crazy, and nobody slept, and there's a storm coming through, and you know you you got your grapes picked, but you're running behind, and a reefer truck wasn't available or you know like how do you keep your fruit so before this range, so, you know?
1: so just to explain so before this how would you do so you you would you would you would be rushing to get all the fruit in and then and then contract a refrigerated truck and then truck it all the way back here right
0: yeah I mean wait logistically it was madness we we used to haul our our distemmer our receiving hopper our distemmer some of our stuff up there and actually just stem our reds um in in our growers barn and then try and get that to a truck and you know being a a small grower, you know, a lot of times contracts may only be one ton, you know. Even even a five ton contract's only is not even a quarter of a of a full truck. So I was very often if I wanted to ride on a truck, I had to have my fruit ready to go when that truck was ready to go. And that was on other people's schedule and dealing with all of their wow. issues in harvest. So, you know, getting getting my fruit destemmed um, doing you know the the lab work and the additions and and uh, and getting everything cleaned up and to a truck you know on a timeline that was realistic um, and and predictable and you know you could do it over and over again was really really challenging uh, we we had a hard time with that um every year you know every every single contract was like anything could go wrong you know you're you're picking grapes 300 miles away without a winery you know and, and right. if the i mean i have friends who had semis run off the road with their fruit in the trailer you know i mean it 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 presents a lot of challenges to say the least and, and
1: so then what is this this thing now so that so now they are yeah. Texas
0: wine companies of a full service you could you could walk up there and say hey i contracted with grower x to buy grapes and i want you guys to make wine and and administer the brand for me and they could actually do all of it Except the business, you know, they they can file the paperwork for you, but they're not gonna go sell it, right? Right, right. Um, it's so your it's, brand, yeah, yeah.
1: So it's a it's a. Full but you're using you're not custom using customers. it for full service. You're using it to just yeah. Well, crush it, the 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 fruit. It depends on the product. Yeah, okay. exactly. So yeah.
0: the all my all my reds um, that aren't so several of my growers up there uh, are destemming their fruit with their harvester. Uh, they have really cool harvesters have destemmers and sorting tables built into them so you get clean must right out of the harvester Um, but some of my growers up there are still on the old school harvesters that don't have that new technology and so with those growers I get that fruit right in there to destemmer to stem it as quickly as I can unless it's maybe like Syrah in which case we might not destem it all or or something like that but um, even then I've never like been, oh, we're not going to stem any of this raw this year. As a matter of logistical convenience, has, has not been a good idea. Right. You yeah. can so you
1: have just this more more power to make your choices. Yeah, yeah, the choice that to you get things right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And and then they have a lab. You know, there's a and there's a, a full service. You know, there's uh, Cassie in the lab. There is great. She's she's learned a lot and has a pretty good handle on on what we're looking for from winemaking perspective. And the seller uh, master, general manager, uh, Frank Garza and his wife Chastity. They Do an awesome job of you know you're when they're there waiting for you when your stuff shows up and you know that when if you ask them to get a truck for you the truck's there when you want it to be and the the lab is uh is doing good work and you know you can you can come in there not having slept for two days and they'll run the lab work for you and you can make the additions as needed and, and trust that you know it's all done right Right, and, uh, and it didn't used to be that way. You know, it used to be that you were trying to do lab work, and you know, on somebody's coffee table in a, in a building. With, and you're
1: you know, seeing a pH that you're not sure of, and yeah. you're like rubbing your eyes. Yeah, like, exactly, uh, it, it just ma-
0: it makes it hard to feel good about some of the things that you're trying to do. Yeah, and and, uh, and so they've really they've just kind of put in more of a foundation for us to get things right as as an industry, and uh, and that was a big step, I think, for a lot of us. But and some people, I think. We just rolled the dice, and if the wines came out bad, that was okay,
1: you know, just the result, and they got mad at the grower. But in the end, that was that's the, to the massive detriment of the industry. Exactly, to whereas exactly. that there's more variability in the wine, and then people can't trust Texas yeah. wine. Yeah, and right?
0: so th- so the only people that were making decent wines were the people who were like working extraordinary extraordinary amounts of, of time to try and get it right. And now now those people are making better wines because they're not having to deal with the 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 base the baseline anymore you know we've got the basics yeah and so we can actually think about like let's get a microscope and see what's fermenting this instead of like Let's get it. Let's get it inoculated. You know, we still haven't pitched yeast and it's harvested three days ago. I, if you're gonna pitch yeast to begin with,
1: it's just right. a whole other wormhole right. to go <laughs> down. But, We're not gonna go down yeah, that wormhole. Yeah. I talked for um, an hour with Lewis Dixon, and uh, <laughs> that was last week. Well, that's probably covers most yeah. of it. <laughs> <Right>. He's, he's <laughs> definitely definitely got opinion on that for sure. He does. Yeah,
0: and I, I, I I'm a proponent of both. I you know I I feel like ambient yeast are good, and I feel like uh, cultured yeast are good. And to you know to me. You know a, a cultured yeast is a native yeast from somewhere, right? And so well, you know, and, you know, in the in the in the position that maybe you'd rather rather have that than than where the grapes
1: are from. <laughs> you know, that's, right. that's not necessarily always a bad thing, right? Right. So um, you know, we're kind of talking about where you're seeing things going, and and um, you know, you talked about some of these Portuguese varieties that you're really excited about, Albarino up in the high plains. Tempranillo is what some people are talking about as the, you know, one of the the more prominent grapes in Texas. Where where do you see that Tempranillo is right now? High plains versus you know hill country. So it's,
0: it's interesting you bring that up because I got in a, in a instant messaging conversation with Wine Business Monthly where they're asking how much Tempranillo we had in Texas and how many people made it, and how many gallons were you know produced, and and we didn't have any answers. Right. Yeah. Um, so I went digging. <laughs> I made zero progress on the high plains just because it's during harvest. I was really tired and I didn't want to all those guys uh, were still finishing harvest. So I didn't want to bug them that much about numbers that they might get wrong being on low sleep anyways. Um, Whereas the hill country, we kind of wrapped up more of it down here. So I felt a little bit better about sending my my growers questions. Questions. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. but in the hill, in the hill country, uh, last time I checked, uh, I, I accounted for 103, like, point seven acres of Tempranillo. 103.7 acres, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a lot more than I thought there was, to, yeah. to be honest with you. Which, I guess, made sense because I, I had several growers that i never heard of call with significant volumes of Tempranillo fruit, uh, you know, on the vine during the growing season that I didn't, I didn't even know they were there. And so, you know, we were... We were already over-contracted, and we had people coming to us with decent fruit right down the street, and we were just like, oh, we didn't know you guys existed. You know,
1: um, now, that 107, do you think that that is um, producing vines, or is that uh, no, it's, just it's, in what's in the ground it's, already? It's
0: planted. It's planted and producing. Um, and, and I guess when I say planted and producing, it's both. Like counts all of it. Uh, most of that Tempranillo is actually producing. Yeah, okay. Um, there's a few of the growers that, you know, they listed 10 acres and maybe only six of them are, are in production. Right. But right. Um, most of the growers that, that have larger plantings, are, you know, they're 5, 10, 12 years old now. Yeah.
1: Very cool. And then high planting, and, and so are, are you seeing that Tempranillo is doing well in a wide variety of of regions, or is it is it, you know, hit or miss, depending on the site in your experience? Yeah, y- yeah,
0: both, you know, it's right. like, it's doing better than some other things did generally across everywhere, you know, back when people were just like, you know, trying some, some maybe older, m- more basic varieties and having less success across, you know, like, maybe there's some places in Texas you can make nice Merlot, um, but... Merlot planted all the way across the hill country and the high plains certainly was not that successful. Right. right? And I think Tempranillo is definitely more viable, more successful. Maybe, you know, when you look, I think we get into winemaking philosophy when we really start talking about this, but if you look at, like, warmer, hotter places, very often the reds are are blend-based anyways, right? Sure. And so the the idea that, like, oh, some vintages, Tempranillo is not perfect – Uh, meaning it's not a great grape for here it doesn't hold water with me because most vintages it's very usable and in a lot of vintages it is really good right right so i feel like it's you know i think tempranillo has a place at the table um in in the hill country and the high plains um but you know if you're trying to make a high-end you know you know varietal uh, tempranillo um i do feel like sight and, and viticultural practices are really important. Yeah, uh, it's a really vigorous variety. Of, and is that also
1: what you're doing with your blending Tempranillo with, say, Cabernet, or you, yeah, you're blending yeah. Tempranillo from different sites? But then you also do single vineyard Tempranillo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and
0: I mean, and we've done the like we, uh, the Tempranillo from from Rob Parr's vineyard in Mason. Depending on the vintage, we've we've done different things. In 2012, it's 100% Tempranillo. a Really beautiful vintage, and a, nothing went wrong. Plenty of fruit in the, on our Tempranillo block. In 13, um, horrible freezes before Rob had frost protection. Uh, we lost most of the Tempranillo crop. What, what we got was more, you know, secondaries and things like that. Um, maybe not as of high quality as 12, but um, we went ahead and blended more Vedra and Tariga from his vineyard in to kind of make up the difference in, in volume and, and, and characteristics we were looking for in the wine. Right. And it, it's tough to say which of those two is the better, you know, the better wine. People certainly enjoy both of them a lot, and there are people who who prefer one over the other. So.
1: Sure, was 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 2017 a vintage that Tempranillo could stand on its own, where it was kind of a complete wine, and very much so.
0: Um, you know, seventeen. Uh, was a vintage that, from from my perspective, uh, we must have had some sort of like water slash drought stress in the spring. Um, I know in West Texas they were definitely drier and hotter, faster than they normally are, uh, and then we had an early bud break too. So maybe some people just didn't water ahead of their above bud break as aggressively. I'm not exactly sure, but I can tell you that you know the result smaller clusters, smaller berry size is, is a result of deficit irrigation so somewhere in there we missed some water right, right and uh and it really helped i i feel like that 2017 reminds me the the most of, of 2012 um a year where bud break was early we all got nervous about spring freezes that never happened but thank uh, goodness long, for long spring you know we had we had nice cool days out here in may you know and then in some hot hot years it can be pretty rough out here by april you know so we were looking at the end of may and there's still like cool fronts coming in you know it's like oh this is a good vintage and then uh and then no no excessive rain in the fall um you know we finished i think the last fruit came in september 11th or 12th probably and uh in 2012 it was september 5th i think so you know to me the vintages are similar but uh 12 while we had good good fruit chemistry maybe the phenolics were a little thinner and i attributed that to a lot of younger vines with with pretty good good you know yields and things and so this this year we have kind of similar circumstances but the vineyards are, are older and the yields are about the same but but it it's coming in the form of like more clusters on a more mature plant hmm. with smaller berries right so the quality from my mind is like orders of magnitude better at I couldn't have asked for a vintage to to run out of space and and fill up the building. You know, <laughs> like I, I feel good about being really long this year.
1: Right. Um, and and do you are are, are other, you know, are, are are we seeing that 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 overall that quality overall in the industry as the vines get a little bit more maturity? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, as an example, let's take Morved where it was you know most of the plantings what only went in in 2008 maybe or you know th- there's and would, yes, and now we're kind of getting of th- that was that first significant wave and now we're getting to the 10 year mark and um that's going to make the industry better right i, I mean and, yeah. and you're you're seeing that across the board yeah
0: yeah i mean i'm uh lost draw in your more from 2014 we're we're going to release sometime in the next year um i'm going to be yeah, I think it's a really delicious wine the 2013 we were successful with um, and the, the 14 were taken up to pour in, in New York and uh, a month. awesome and and um, I th- feel like that that older block you know more mature vines um, is saying something and, and and it will I think kind of push the industry off in a good direction I, yeah. I have a lot more more Vedra blocks that are younger you know since that one and that, that one was the, the light coming on for me it's definitely kind of the, the first first one i don't know it's special to me in a way and it's a small block in that vineyard you know it's i've been a big proponent of lost straw and big supporter of what they do and everything. totally and, yeah you know that uh, that block is not even a full acre you know <laughs> i have i have growers where i got like five acres or something and we don't we it that wine you know more vegra from those older blocks those older plantings is pretty special
1: yeah um, yeah our,
0: our more veggie rosé from, from Rob Pars and Mason same thing those vines are probably 11, 12 and the, the kind of depth that we're getting on it relative to like that rosé we tried earlier mm-hmm. it's just that one the one we tried earlier is like When you put them side by side, it's like, oh, it's quaffable, it's enjoyable. And then you try the other one, it's like, oh, there's a lot more going on. Yeah. And I I think I attribute that to those older older vines.
1: But you're still making, you know, it's interesting that, that like, say in the south of France, with the younger vines, they make the rosé and then, you know, they, they keep maybe some, once the vines get to a certain age, then they go into a different wine, but you're still making a rosé out of, out of relatively older, older vines. Will that continue to happen?
0: Yeah, um, it will, um, because I, I really like rosé from that site, and, uh, I haven't made red from that site, uh, with Morvedra that I'm, like, completely as in love with as the rosés yet, um we have more and more vedra from his site uh came in production over the last two years kind of like i was saying earlier more more good things right sure and so we we actually uh we did some of the more vedra from his vineyard uh, as a red whole cluster this year um and then most of it is is rosé again but uh just kind of had enough for the first time to to try both again yeah um in 13 there was an experiment where we split it both ways and the rosé came out way way better so (laughs) from 14 15 16 it was all rosé and then this year we we got so much of it we were like well we we don't have a tank big enough for that much right so we don't need to make that much of of more of par morvedra rosé so what do we do with a little bit of the extra yeah um we'll see you know it, it, it's a to be determined the the tempranillo from his site uh, i think really uh does well with morvedra you know his, his vineyard is uh, straight sandstone Uh, it's like a beach like kind of crimson red sand uh probably four feet deep at least wow and so we get these kind of more aromatic less tannic you know wines and and initially we were putting them all in like little 225 liter you know like bordeaux barrels that were i think running over the wines and then we were having to wait you know a long time for them to kind of come back around and so, the, you know, what we're trying there now is larger formats yeah. just across the board. And I'm hoping that Like 500-liter hogsheads? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. 300-liter, yeah. um, 500 liters, um You know, I the bigger the better. It's just a matter of what do we have yeah. available, and, and we're working on that. Would you
1: see that more? I mean, I'm seeing more of an interest in larger barrels. I'm seeing, like, wineries putting in large barrels. I'm pretty shocked, you yeah, know? Yeah,
0: I think, I think there's a handful of producers in Texas that, like— they're like, oh, these wine styles that are coming from maybe warmer, sunnier places in, in Europe or the tradition of making wine with these grapes that seem to be growing well here, uh, you don't see a lot of small barrels. you know. No, it, it's yeah. not Cabernet. It doesn't have as big, massive tannins a lot of times. And, and so maybe it doesn't need it. You know, I've. Uh, unfortunately a lot of texas producers we visit other wine regions on on google image search and you know you you see a lot of large formats and sellers and you can read their blogs and listen to podcasts and you know the people sell you on stuff always but um you know i think i think you just have to walk into a winery and and see like oh it's all concrete and and cask they don't even have small formats here to like kind of for the light to come on and because when you when you try their wines and you see that they make their wine that way, it kind of connects the dots on like, oh, this is how you approach this style, right? right. And, and I think that's a light that's coming on five to ten producers in Texas are like, you know, you, you go look in the buildings right now and there's concrete tanks, you know? Yeah. If you'd have told me five years ago in Texas that people were getting concrete, I would have been like, well, I want to, but I can't afford it. And I haven't heard anybody else even talk about it yet, you know? and And now there's at least... Uh, you know i know i know bill and chris have had some for a couple of years the guys down at lost draw got some i want to say somebody else ordered some and we got some this year cool oh, and regan over at south has got quite a bit and a big big proponent of it going to see him next yeah you should, you should. i was <laughs> i was there yesterday and the day before i liked regan hit <laughs> one of our uh, uh truck drivers that's helping him you know with, with getting settled into his property got mad at some bees and and tried to burn the bees out of a tree and like i think he almost lit half of regan's property on fire on the on the bee thing ask regan about it (laughs) all right i will i'll
1: I'll say i I might just get mad at some bees and
0: (laughs) (laughs) just be like i heard fire was a good way to deal with bees yeah right um
1: well we got kind of a few minutes left and um you know uh what else we didn't talk about you know, cab is something that's really divisive. I'm tasting a lot of really great cab. I've loved your cab. Um, where, where are a Bordeaux varieties in 2017? Yeah, I mean, it's like we cabs this thing that's so hot and cold, right?
0: Um, it's it's hard to get right. We we have made some that I'm really proud of. It's more of like a red fruit dominated thing, so kind of different than what people may look for in Cabernet from from some of the like iconic regions per se, but maybe not all of them. Um, I I think it certainly Cabernet in Texas can make good wine. I I like having it as a blender. Um, We actually have a a Tempranillo grower with a small block of Cabernet right next to it that we pick at the same time to co-ferment on just the premise. so I had a couple tough vintages with Cabernet, and from, from a contracting standpoint, other than that little bit that's with that Tempranillo block, I've gotten away from all of my Cabernet Sauvignon. I've kept a little Cabernet Franc because my wine club loves it, um, and I and I love it actually a little bit more passionate just about making it. But um, this year would have been an awesome year to buy Cabernet, <laughs> uh, and before and before the North Coast maybe ran shorter on supply you know like i it it was a good vintage in texas small berries and you know good 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 uh longer season with the early bud break i you know i i think there will be some pretty nice cabernets made in texas this year you know is it something that i'm in a rush to plan anywhere absolutely not yeah but um but it's something that, that can be worked with for sure it's just not like there's no value to it and some some people and certain spots really do a wonderful job with it sure know? so it's it's not something that doesn't work here you know i um i wouldn't put it on the list of things that are just dumb right <laughs> i mean and try.
1: and and it's not that it's not make it there's just more variability to it from 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 your standpoint yeah, i mean yeah. it, that it, that it's it's not that it doesn't produce Great wine from time to time. It's just every once in a while, you know, every vintage out of five, it might shine, or and, I, and that's hard to make a business model. Yeah, around. it is. It
0: is, and I and I I think that maybe it would be easier to make a business model out of the people embrace kind of like the more old school throwback versions of Cabernet that maybe weren't as ripe. You know, maybe not as because in, in Texas you're not going to get it that ripe, right? So like, look at some of the styles where people are okay with that <laughs> and and that's just i you know cabernet is not my future those things so. are
1: kind of suffering around the world i mean you know you see some of the old school napa producers you know they fall out of vogue and who's in vogue is all that the super ripe stuff uh and right. even in bordeaux it's getting riper and riper right but that uh, that might be a trend that's like peaked peaked
0: back in the 90s with parker and stuff i mean i'm too young to to really have a pulse on that but it, it does seem like to me that like my friends who know nothing about wine are like pushed towards a different set of wines than they were ten years ago yeah. by the market, not by like any anybody out for the cause. But it right. just seems like there's more cool out sh- there.
1: Totally. Yeah. I don't
0: know if I should have said that.
1: No, it's all good. This, this is a pot. This this well, it'll air, but I'll, I'll I, can, I can I can I can like beep that out. I hope I would, my mom's not listening. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> like you know, I never get a chance to beep stuff. You know, which. <laughs> you know that's great well doug lewis um thank you so much for the time and uh you know i'm looking forward to seeing these wines come come to fruition and and where the industry going is going and i think that you know in what you're saying and what a lot of producers are saying is that um there are these definable aspects of the industry that is just making the wines get better and better and and that's what i like seeing yeah Yeah. me too yeah. It's a good time to be in, in Texas wine, I think. Right. Well, good luck. Um, Thank Hopefully, you. you'll get a vacation. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to it <laughs> within within a, within a short period of time, and uh, and we'll stay in touch. Okay, sounds good. Thanks for coming by. Thanks, Doug.